Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. It's pretty sweet to hear the church just singing that and uh, worshiping our God because he's a holy God. There's no one like him. And uh, what a special thing that we get to uh, hear from him right now. So uh, if you would, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab those and uh, go with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. So uh, our ushers are coming around right now. You can just get their attention. They would love to uh, give you one. And if you don't own, own a Bible, uh, would you just take that one with you? It's a gift from us to you. And uh, you can join us there in Exodus chapter 32. That's on uh, page 41 of those Bibles, or you can follow along with us on uh, the Bible app. And I got to tell you, uh, listen, it's kind of crazy. After today, we only have four more weeks in the book of Exodus. Things are picking up and uh, we're kind of moving through this uh, pretty quickly right now. Uh, but Exodus chapter 32 uh, is not necessarily one of those heartwarming stories, okay? In fact, um, Exodus chapter 32 is really the low point in the entire book of Exodus. Um, if you have found yourself annoyed at all by the children of Israel with their like complaining and whining after all that God has done uh, for them, then uh, you get to this story here in chapter 32 and you read this and you're like, you have got to be kidding me, right? Like, can you, like, really, really? Like, guys, this is the, uh, the very famous and familiar story about the golden calf, that idol that they made. So obviously then, um, this text is going to be pretty convicting for those of you who struggle with uh, building farm animal figurines and worshiping and offering sacrifices to them. I don't, like, I don't even know what else to tell you. If that is your besetting sin, then this is going to be a pretty rough day for you. But for everybody else who doesn't necessarily have a collection of, of golden idols that we're like burning incense to or, or bowing down to, well, it actually might be kind of convicting for you too. Um, because I, I know that, that this is weird, okay? Like when we, when we read about this, we're like, that is so dumb. Like how on earth would anybody ever be tempted to build a golden cow and be like, oh, I'm so thankful for the cow and let's start worshiping and, and offering sacrifices that just, that doesn't make sense to me. Like I've, I have never felt tempted to bow down to a sculpture. I'm pretty sure that none of you have ever felt that. And so, so it's, it, it feels strange. It feels weird and foreign. And it's easy for us to look at this and be like those stupid Israelites. I mean, how dumb can you get? And, and honestly, it really is that dumb. But we want to make sure that we're not missing the heart of idolatry here. This text is not just an indictment on cultures that have strange practices of cultic and polytheistic worship of physical idols, okay? This text really functions like a mirror. Because when we read this, I, I actually almost want you to just imagine that, that, that as you're looking and, and, and reading your Bible, you're holding up a mirror. Because as, as we're looking into this, as we're, as, as we're reading these things, we're, we're not just seeing a bunch of dumb Israelites worshiping a cow. We're actually seeing our own reflection here. Because this is what goes on in our hearts. 
And as idiotic as it was for them to uh, look to a fake cow to, uh, to lead them, it is equally as stupid for us to worship anything else other than the creator, God of the universe, who alone is worthy of our praise and, and our uh, submission to him and our affection, and to think that anything else could compare to him, anything else could take his place. And, and so as we're um, talking about idols, we're, we're obviously not just talking about like physical images or physical statues or something like this. Let's, let's, let's put a definition to this, okay? And An idol is anything, anything that you put before God, that you put in God's place. That, that, that you're wanting something more than you really want God, as if anything could really be better than him. Or, or that you're trusting in something to do or, or to give you what really only God can do and give you and provide for you. And, and it can be good things. It could be, you know, a, a, the desire for like some control or authority and, and, and success and, and admiration and respect or attention and, and affirmation or sexual fulfillment or freedom to pursue leisure and, 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 and pleasure and, and financial security and physical health and physical safety and comfort. And, 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 and those things can easily take the place of God. And they can be good things, but they can't be ultimate things. And, and anytime we, we, we make those primary in our lives, they become fake gods that cannot ultimately bring satisfaction and security to our lives. And so here's the big idea. As we're jumping into Exodus 32, here's, here's what I want us to see. It's this. Take note. We need to watch out for idols in our hearts. It's kind of a warning here. We need to watch out for idols in our hearts and praise God that our idolatry is forgiven in Jesus. I want you to see this with me. Chapter 32. Let's start reading in, in, in verse 1. Chapter 32, uh, here's what it says. Verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, oh, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked 
people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So there's a, a big warning for us here as we approach the text. The very first thing that we see this, this warning or this admonition, if you're taking notes, is this. Flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. God gives his assessment of the situation, verse 7. I find this interesting. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. That should have been a clue, right? You got to remember, I'm like, Moses is up on the mountain having a good old time. Just him and God, just the two of them, and they're talking tabernacle plans. Then all of a sudden he says something like that. That should have been the first indication that something's not right. And God says to him, uh, like, like, look, I need you to go down and talk to your people. When I, when I walk through the door, uh, uh, when I come home at the end of the day, all, that's like all Carissa has to say to me to let me know that we've had a little bit of a rough day at home, right? Your son. Oh boy, right? God says to him, look, they have corrupted themselves, verse eight. They have, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded. It was so quick and sudden. We're, we're like, how did they get here? They literally just got done telling God that they were going to obey everything that he commanded after they received the Ten Commandments. They're like, man, God, we're going to obey in all of this. And and then no sooner do they have an opportunity to show it, that they really mean it, that they're going to obey, but they completely do the exact opposite. But remember, this is a a mirror. I kind of see myself in this. Some of my um, biggest failures have come right after some of my most sincere resolutions for, for change and obedience, right? Like I, I've had sweet times with the Lord where, where um, he's just kind of broken before the Lord and confessing like, Lord, I don't want this in my life. Like this is wrong. Like please forgive me. I don't, I don't want to respond this way anymore. And I mean it. I mean it. And then the very next day or like three hours later, right, like right back into it. I don't think I'm alone in that. You, you, you may have done this where you've decided you were going to share something in small group and, you know, we break up into men's and women's time and, and you, you, get, you get in with the guys and you're like, guys, I, like, I really, I, I, I want to be more patient with my wife, with my kids, and, and like, I really want to work on that. And all the guys are going around the circle and we're encouraging you and like praying for you. or like, we're really, we're, 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 we're going to work on this. And then it's like the car ride home from small group, right? Like just lose it on them as they're bickering and stuff in the back. We're, we're, we're so quick. When we, when we say that we need to be diligent to watch out for idols, it's because our hearts are so quick to turn away from the Lord. It doesn't take long. Verse 1 actually says that, that it's when the, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Okay, so remember, Moses goes up on the mountain. To be fair, he was up there a, a long time. Chapter 24 told us that he was up there for 40 days. And so, so the people of Israel are down at the bottom and they're feeling like a husband who's waiting in the car for his wife who just had to run into Target real quick. And like, we don't know how long this is gonna take. And they're sitting there like, oh, okay, it's been long enough. And so they come up to Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, and they're like, up, oh, make us gods who shall go before us. So, so this guy, Moses, brought us out into the wilderness, and, and he left us out here. We don't know what happened to him, but, but we, can't just, we can't just stand around the mountain waiting forever, okay? We need somebody who's going to lead us. We need somebody who's going to take care of us. But the question is this. 
Has God shown them that he can lead them? Has God shown them that he can take care of them? Okay, has, has, he, has he been late or missed an assignment or dropped the ball or failed them in any way up to this point? So can they trust him? But, but apparently they're like, they're, they start to panic a little bit and they start to take matters into their own hands. Like, we've got to fix this. We've got to, we've got to figure this out. And, 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 and you got to understand that, that, that making an idol, that didn't come out of nowhere. I know for us in Fairfax in the, uh, the 21st century, it just feels a little strange. Like, where did that, like that, that seems kind of random that they would come up with. It, this is not because they're out in the sun too long and they got heat stroke and started going insane or, or they just got bored and a couple of them were just standing around talking and they're like, you know what I love? I love cows. Let's just make a cow. And we're, that's not what's going on here. Well, th- this is kind of a cultural thing that we may not completely appreciate, but, but an idol in that culture represented the power of a deity. So it wasn't even necessarily that the, that statue in and of itself, they were like, that thing is the God, but that's what represented the God. In fact, um, a calf or a bull was actually a pretty common uh, symbol of a God. I actually I took a picture of one of these while I was in uh, Israel and Jordan, while we were uh, in the city of Jerash in Jordan, uh, that we were uh, walking all over these ancient ruins. In fact, uh, up in the back, you can see the temple of Zeus in the background. And, and I snapped this picture while I was down here. Do you, do you see the, the head of a bull there? Because so, I know you're like, this is so random. Like, why'd they come up with that? That's actually pretty normal. This was a very common symbol in the ancient world uh, for a God. And you got to also appreciate that the Israelites have spent their entire lives in Egypt surrounded by the polytheistic worship of the gods. And these symbols or these images and these, these statues, they were just representations of the presence and the power of the gods. And so the children of Israel here are kind of drawn to that because they want the comfort and the security of the supernatural while they're out here in the wilderness facing the unknown. That help you a little bit? Because I know that you and I may not have, you know, done the same thing, but like, hey, let's like build a cow. But we can appreciate the desire there. In fact, the desire for comfort or security, or direction. I mean, those are things that you pray for. Those are are good things. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to make sure that our desire doesn't become a demand. Where I'm feeling like, God, I I need you to make sure that I'm safe and that that I'm healthy. God, I, I, I need you to make sure that nothing bad happens to my family. Nothing bad happens to my kids. I, I, I need that. Or, or, God, I need to know what your plan is for my life. You, you got to help me understand what's going on here. Where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to live? When am I supposed to move there? Who am I supposed to be with? When is that person going to come along? Like, God, I, I need these things right now. I need the security of knowing that everything's going to be okay. And, and, and when we get impatient or when we feel like I have to have this, and, 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 and we worry about it and we get anxious and, and we're just stressed out and missing sleep over this and maybe even manipulating to try to make some of these things happen. Those are symptoms of an idol. Those are symptoms that that, that that thing, getting that thing that I want or that I feel like I need is more important to me than really trusting the Lord. 
the Israelites so wanted security and clarity of direction that they were willing to sin to get it. And they're looking for it in the wrong place. In fact, um, God had explicitly told them in the Ten Commandments, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven or on earth. So, so, so here they are directly violating that command. And they're doing it just after they said, hey, we're going to obey all of it. And they're doing it while at the same time, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the instructions for the tabernacle so that God can come and live among them and they can enjoy proper worship of the Lord. And what's more, look, look, look at the materials that they use. Verse, verse two, check this out. Look at verse two. Uh, Aaron said, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives. Where, 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 where did they get that? Where'd they get the jewelry? Where'd they get that gold? Well, maybe you might remember back in chapter 12, right? Before God brought them out of Egypt, he actually told them like, I'm getting ready to get you guys out of here. Here's what I need you to do. Go talk to the Egyptians, just walk up to them and ask them to just give you their jewelry. Like that was awkward conversation, right? Like, I know you hate me. I know, I know I'm your enemy, but can, can I have the Rolex? Like, can, can you just... Can you just hand over that, like, those earrings? So, so what this was, the, the text says that Israel plundered the Egyptians. This was a sign of God's victory. This was a sign of his grace to his people. And now they're supposed to be using this gold to build the tabernacle so that God could dwell among them. But instead, they're taking what God had given them and using it to replace him with a false idol. In the New Testament, you might remember uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen, the man who was uh, martyred in Acts chapter 7. I've got this for you on the screen. I want you to see this. He's, he's actually, uh, he tells the history of Israel, and he's recounting this story. Uh, Acts chapter 7, he says this, Our fathers refused to obey God, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. So they're turning back into idolatry, and what Stephen's helping us understand is that idolatry is a heart problem. They, in their hearts, didn't want God telling them what to do. They didn't think they could trust him, and they wanted something else. And Aaron, Aaron's the guy that uh, probably should have known better and was there to kind of help them out and lead them a little bit. But in, instead of leading them in the proper worship, he just kind of capitulates and gives them what they want. And then they start, it just gets ugly. They, they start mixing in these pagan cultish practices with their offerings. Verse, verse six, look, look at verse six. It says that they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They rose up to play. That word means to revel. And it has the idea of like a loud party. Okay, so the, somebody probably would have called the cops if they weren't out in the middle of nowhere. That's the idea of this. That this is loud and obnoxious. It's getting a little crazy. In fact, that word actually often has drunken sexual undertones, like an orgy. So, so it's very possible that, that this thing's just quickly spiraling out of control into further depravity, and their self-gratification reveals these guys have a heart problem, which is why, verse 9, God says, behold, it is a stiff-necked people. That, that, that's an idiom, and he, I know none of us are farmers, but we can kind of understand this. He, he's basically giving us a picture from, from like a stubborn cow stiffening its neck that just refuses to have the yoke put on it. 
And I don't want you to miss the irony here because Israel is essentially becoming what they're worshiping. They, 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 they're stubborn and they're rebellious and they fail to obey God. Now, we've already seen an evil, hard, wicked heart in the book of Exodus. Do you remember who it was that like hardened his heart? Yeah, he's the worst. Okay, seriously, uh, Pharaoh is literally the worst bad guy in the Bible so far. And Israel is proving that they're no better than he is. So it makes total sense then, verse 10, why God's like, all right, back up, Moses. I'm about to burn these guys up, right? And, and you, it makes sense. We get it. God's wrath here is justified. In fact, I, I think of David in Psalm 51 where he says, against you, you only have I sinned and, and done what is evil in your sight so that you may, be, you, may, you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God's doing the right thing here. His wrath against this is so, so right. It's so justified. He has been so good to them. I mean, he's listened to them when they were crying out for help and, and he had compassion and he, was, he, he moved towards them in that and he, he rescued them and he saved them miraculously and he's, and he's provided for them and he's led them through the wilderness and he wants to be with them. But now they're spitting in his face and they're saying, we don't want you. We want something else. And we like shake our heads at Israel here, but... Don't forget, this is a mirror. Because we're saying the same thing anytime we prioritize anything else over the Lord. Paul actually helps us interpret. Um, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 10. I have this for you on the screen. This is kind of a, uh, an important one. We keep this in mind when we're reading Exodus chapter 32 because Paul's referencing back to this story right here. And he's talking about this and trying to help us interpret this and apply this uh, to our lives. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting verse 6. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written here, he's quoting uh, Exodus 32, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The saying is their foolishness is an example for us. It's a warning. Watch out for idols. Watch out. Like we can be so quick to turn in our hearts and just turn away from the Lord and run after other things and lust after those things and trust in those things other than God, and so, so, so he actually gives us the, uh, the, the implication, verse 14. Here's what he says. This is, this is the application of this story that we're reading about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. See it? Run away! Escape! Get out! H have you ever had one of those nightmares where, where, where somebody's chasing you and you just can't escape, you can't get away? It's like that, like something's coming after you and you're, in your heart you're like freaking out in the middle of the night and there's like nothing you can do. It just keeps chasing after you. I want to tell you, this nightmare is a reality in our church every single day of the week. Because idolatry is temptation that is hunting you down to try to capture you and try to destroy you. And what Paul's trying to say is, 
Don't flirt around with that. Don't wait around to see what's going to happen. Flee. Get out while you can. Like if, when you sense that something might be gripping your heart or something might be starting to get a foothold here, it's, it's, it's rising up the priorities list and it's taking more of your time and more of your attention and maybe it's altering your behavior because you want that so bad or you feel like you need it and it's, it's dominating your focus. Maybe it's affecting your mood and your attitude and that it's time to call it like it is. That might be an idol in my heart and kick it into high gear and hightail out of there like your life depends on it. Flee from idolatry is what he's saying. Now some, um, I just try to make this really practical. I know that, that some idols um, are probably more obvious than others. There's some things that, that we know um, that, that we're drawn to, that our, that our culture is just like run headlong into and is constantly pushing in our face like, like sexual fulfillment and that, 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 that might just be like uh, it, w- within the bounds of marriage but it's also outside of that and perversions of that and pornography and, and, and just uh, the, the idolizing pleasure and wanting that or, or it might be food and, and, and comfort and, and those kind of addictive behaviors where you take the bait and just like it's like a snare that just traps you. It just, it's easy to see that that's kind of an idol. Or, or it can be materialistic wants like wanting a bigger house or a cooler car or, or, or a better job or, or attention-seeking dreams where I just, I want a higher position, I want success, I want recognition. It's, those, those, are, those are idols. And sometimes it's pretty uh, obvious when those things have kind of gripped us and, and we're drawn to those things. But then there are some idols that I think are a little bit more subtle and, and sometimes difficult to actually even recognize. That maybe, for example, maybe when you're getting impatient with people, you find yourself kind of impatient with your coworkers or with your roommates, with your kids. You're like just you find you're like on edge. You find like you're easily irritated and and, and you're getting frustrated. It might be because it, that's stemming from a desire in your heart for control, and, and that you have this belief that like you deserve to be treated better. You deserve to have better circumstances. You deserve to get your way. And that can take such a hold on you. And that desire can become an idol that that when it's threatened or when you don't get your way, you get angry, you get frustrated, you get impatient, you get irritable. Or maybe you're um, given over to like being nervous and and self-conscious and and you're you're second-guessing all of your actions and, and um, you're, you're kind of hesitant and you avoid putting yourself out there with people because you feel like you need security and, 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 and you need approval from people and, and you want to make sure that they would really like you. And, and the need for that just kind of paralyzes you when you're not sure if people are going to accept you, if, they're, if this is a safe space for you. And so you just remain withdrawn because of that desire. Or it might be that... that like you've gone through some really, really hard things and you've been through so much pain in your life that you, you just crave affirmation and love and, and comfort from people. And, and, and so you, you, you give in to depression and despair when you don't feel that. And, and, and maybe you kind of break down emotionally because you're just desperate for somebody to notice you and, and comfort you and come and, and, and love you in, in that moment. Listen, I want, I want to say these can be good things that we would want but they can't be ultimate things. 
And even if you get them, you're going to find that they're not going to bring you the kind of security and satisfaction that you were really hoping for. A pretty good indication as, as you're trying to like, God, what is it in my heart? Like what, I, I want to know, is, if, is there something that's kind of gripping that I'm missing here? A pretty good indication of this is, is to fill in the blank on this. Fill in the blank for me. If I could just have fill in the blank, then I'd be okay. Then, then I'd be happy. If I could just have blank, then I'd be okay. Everything would be fine. I'd be okay. I'd be happy. And a good indication that something's become an idol is when you're willing to sin in order to get that or you sin because you don't get that. If I could just have more sex with my wife or alone time, like free from the kids, free from all the pressures, if I could, if I could just have a better job or if I could find that loving relationship, that person that I could be with for the rest of my life, if I could have, if I could have healthy, successful kids, if I could have close group of friends, if I could have no traffic on 66 on the way home from work, like whatever that is. Listen, if you are filling that blank in with anything other than Jesus, it's an idol. And, and I don't want to fool myself into thinking that I'm not really susceptible to this. I feel like God's been just kind of showing me a few things this week. I shared one last night with my wife. I came home. It's just like God's pressing in. And, and I think maybe I'm just asking that the Spirit of God would do that in you. Just kind of reveal, like, maybe this, maybe this is an area that you're drawn to this, this desire, this thing that you want so badly that you would hold on to this or you'd sin to get it. You'd sin because you don't get it. Paul is telling us that the point of reading about Israel in Exodus 32 is to flee. Flee from that stuff. Flee from idolatry. But there's a second warning. There's a second admonition, actually an, an encouragement for us. If you're taking notes, note this, then we want to flee from idolatry, but turn to the one who saves you. Turn to the one who saves you. When you realize that Jesus is better than whatever it is that you've been filling that blank in with, you, there's so much freedom in that just to know that Jesus is better. And I want you to see a man who's growing in maturity and who's been set free from some of his idols. I want you to see this. Watch, watch what Moses does, verse 11. Look, look, let's keep reading. Verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your anger and, and, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Okay, so this is kind of crazy because you got to remember, verse, verse 10, what, what did God say? God, God told Moses, he's like, listen, my wrath is going to burn hot against them. It's going to consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. Now, how would you have responded in that moment? How would you have, like, reacted to that? 
Think about like Moses so far, like the picture that we've had of, of Moses is like, remember when God came to him in the burning bush and said, you're the man, you're going you're gonna to lead my people. And Moses was like, like me? Like I, I can't, I can't, they're not going to listen to me. Like I don't talk so good and, and I can't do this. I can't, I, I, and he was filled with all these insecurities and crippled by his fears and he needed a lot of affirmation. He needed a lot of assurance in this. And so, so, so here he is. Now Israel's about to get in trouble but he hasn't done anything wrong. This, this reminds me of what happens in, in my house when, when one of my children is getting in trouble, okay? Uh, sometimes when one of the kids is like, they've stepped in it, they know it, and everybody else in the house knows it, okay? Like for whatever reason, oftentimes what happens is the other children are drawn to that somehow. And they want to like come over and just like see what's going on, right? And, and then they, 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 they want to make sure that they're just kind of highlighting the fact that they've been really good recently, right? As if they need to give approval for my disciplinary methods in this moment, right? Like, yeah, he does deserve to be punished. Like, I can't believe he would treat mother and father like that. Like, I would never do that, right? And, and they've got this like comparative righteousness thing that's going on here, okay? And, and, and so I think that's what's happening. God is, God is so righteously angry with his kids. He's like, Back up, Moses. I'm about to blow them up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my promises, but I'm going to start with you. You're my guy. There's temptation there, right? Because if for someone who has, you know, needed so much assurance and affirmation, how flattering would that have been? I'm just going to be honest. If that was me, I think I'd been like, you know what? I am pretty great. <laughs> you know, I've been getting kind of tired of these guys too. They've been a little annoying lately. You know what, God? I think you're right. We should probably just wipe them out, start over, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's just you and me, God. We got this, right? But that's not what Moses does. I, I, we're, we're seeing a change in Moses' heart because he responds differently because he's more concerned here with God's reputation and God's glory He's like, God, you, you started a good work here. And, and I don't want your enemies to think badly of you. And, and remember the promises that you've made to your people. And it just brings out God's grace. We see God's grace at work in Moses' heart. I think we see God's grace in the fact that, that, that he graciously chose the Israelites, even though they had done nothing to de deserve it. And now he's actually going to show his mercy and his grace to them again and stopping his hand from judgment, even though they do deserve it. And God is so gracious here. Well, let's keep reading, though. Verse 15. It says, then Moses turned. Verse 15. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, that were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. I find this kind of interesting. Remember, back in, in verse 6, the, the people rose up to play, right? And that, that word had the, the idea of like a loud party is going on, all right? They're making a big old noise out in the wilderness. And, and, and Joshua hears this as he's coming down. He says, it's the noise of war. Well, they're partying, but it is the noise of rebellion. Don't miss the irony. But he said, it's not the 
sound of shouting for victory, the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. How do you like it now? And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they're set on evil. Is he like blame shifting? For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Well, okay, so, so this is kind of egregious, like this is like shameful that he would do this, but, but what we're seeing is uh, Exodus chapter 32 actually parallels Genesis chapter 3. And we're seeing Aaron respond just like Adam did, blame shifting and making excuses when he's caught in sin. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, that word means to just be wild or out of control, for, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord your God, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of the Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Moses is not messing around here. And he's trying to help them understand idolatry brings judgment. That's what happens, okay? Whenever we turn away from the Lord and we run after something else, we're trusting in that or we want that thing to give us satisfaction or, or, or security, it, it doesn't happen. It only ever ends in pain and death. But, but it's so, so fascinating what Moses does. Verse 30, he said, he, he told the people, you have sinned a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses is acting as a mediator, as the go-between. And his plan is, he's going to go up the mountain to see if he can fix this mess. See, see if there's anything that he can do to cleanse the people from their sin and, and so that they can be forgiven and they can be reconciled back to God. And when he gets up there, what does he say to the Lord? Verse 32, he says to the Lord, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please 
blot me out of your book. Moses is willing to sacrifice his own life, to lay down his own life, and offering himself as a substitute for the people. Now, it doesn't work. In fact, God says, no, they're still going to face consequences, but I want you to just keep leading them where I, I told you, and they're struck with a plague. And God doesn't wipe them out, and it's actually in his grace he's still going to lead them on to the promised land. But what Moses is willing to do as a mediator foreshadows what our Savior did for us. Moses couldn't do it. Like, he himself was a sinner, okay? So he couldn't be the, the sacrifice or the substitute. He wasn't perfect. And so, so Israel still came under judgment. But Jesus is the greater Moses. And where Moses came up short, Jesus did not. Moses went up the mountain hoping to make atonement. Jesus carried his cross out to, to Golgotha and was lifted up to accomplish it. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the substitute who died in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have reconciliation in our relationship to God. And every time we've run after something else or, or we've chased after this, we've pursued this, or we've trusted in something other than God to bring us fulfillment and happiness, and we've wanted something more than we've wanted God, that is idolatry. And God's wrath and his judgment against that sin was poured out on his own son instead of us. Praise God that our idolatry is forgiven in Jesus. So as, as, as we just think about what the gospel says to us, as we, as we approach that knowing, like, God, I, I want to get rid of this thing that I've got in my heart that's been holding on to me, that I've been, I've been running after this thing. May Jesus be sweeter to you than your sin so that you know you're convinced he's better. And we'll just gladly give up our idols. We'll run away from those things because we are turning to the one who saves us. Father, I pray that you would make that real in us. Thank you so much that you loved us enough to come and, and be the sacrifice, be the substitute. Lord, so many times we just we, we look at this story and, and we know they're 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 being idiots, Lord. They're running after things that it doesn't work, it's not gonna fulfill them, it's not gonna bring security, it's it's not going to sustain them. It can't the, a golden calf can't lead them. And we look at this, we're like, that's so dumb. And yet this is kind of what we do all the time where we're running after other things that this world has to offer, other things that we think are gonna make us happy, that are gonna bring us fulfillment. Lord, we just confess that it's so dumb, and yet Sometimes these things have a, a deep hold on our hearts. Maybe we don't even realize it. And so I've been praying that your spirit would just be present, that you would fill us, that you would bring those things to mind and reveal those things to us so that we know if there is something that has taken a higher priority than you in our lives. And I pray that you would just impress upon us this, this glorious truth that we can be forgiven and that we can be free of that that we would come to you listen to you listen diligently to you and eat what is good and delight ourselves in rich food you taste better 
pray that we would want you more than anything. God, make us a church that is willing to, joyfully willing to give up our idols because we're turning to you. You're the one who saves. You're the one who satisfies. We give you praise in Jesus' name.